with the 32nd pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast. I'm Fran Duffy, and this is it. We've got one more college game on the schedule. That's the national championship game as the NFL draft comes even more into focus here in the coming days. We begin things at the top of this week's podcast with Draft Buzz, where I chat with Tony Pauline from DraftAnalyst.com to talk about the next step for a lot of these prospects. That's the college all-star games. I'm going to pepper Tony with some questions about a couple of the top senior bowl and shrine game prospects after we talk a little bit about some underclassmen and some potential trade buzz here as we get into the month of January. After Draft Buzz, we'll then transition a scouting report where this week I'm going to break down one of the most interesting cornerback prospects who will be at the Senior Bowl in a couple weeks. That's Temple's Rocky Sin. After that, we'll get to our Mr. Relevant segment where this week we're catching up with former NFL offensive lineman Jeff Schwartz who analyzes the Pac-12 conference over on Sirius XM Radio. I'm fired up to ask Jeff about some of the top players out West that you should be focused on from an NFL draft standpoint. Next up, we've got our Saturday scouting segment where Ben Fennell and I break down the top prospects that he saw this past weekend and take a deep dive into Monday night's national championship game. Then we wrap things up on Draft Mailbag, where I take a couple of questions here from you guys out there and answer them here on the show. As always, we've got a ton going on this week, so let's get things started with the latest and greatest surrounding the 2019 draft with our buddy Tony Pauline in Draft Buzz. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. It's time to welcome in my friend Tony Pauline. You know him from DraftAnalyst.com, one of the lead NFL draft insiders in the entire country. Tony, happy New Year to you, first of all. And then second, uh, give us the goods. What's the latest you're hearing from around the country as bowl games are now pretty much in the review mirror? Yeah, happy New Year to yourself and all the listeners as well. You know, the big news that I'm hearing over and over again is the draft order for the top 18 teams has been established. And right now it looks like the team that at the top who may want to trade out is San Francisco. Last year I reported that the Colts wanted to trade out, and they did. I'm now hearing San Francisco is potentially looking to trade out of that second slot, and it makes sense. Obviously this all hinges on Dwayne Haskins entering the draft, which we reported on this podcast a couple of weeks ago was going to happen. And, you know, it, it would be a bigger shock now if Haskins doesn't enter the draft. But, but if, uh, if Haskins enters the draft, when, when the Niners are on the clock, the top – a player on the board is going to be a defensive lineman. And this is a, a franchise that selected defensive linemen in the first round of the 2015, 2016, and 2017 draft. And those, two, those, those last two years, they were, both were top ten selections. Uh, so unless they can move one of those guys out, you know, any other player uh, at that second pick, other than whether it be Quentin Williams or Nick Boza or you know, Ed Oliver, any other player is a massive reach. And you continually, you continually draft players at one position that early in the draft, there's a lot of salary cap risks. So right now it sounds like the Niners are going to shop that second pick. The two biggest suitors you would have to assume, I have no knowledge of this, you would have to assume would be the New York Giants or Jacksonville Jaguars who want to get up, uh, would want to move up and get uh, Dwayne Haskins. So that is the early buzz as far as movement at the top of the draft. So let me ask you this, Tony, as a follow-up to that. If San Francisco is sitting at one, do you think they'd still be, uh, they'd still be trying to trade back? Oh, absolutely, except, except they may try and get more. But, yeah, whether it was the first or second draft, you know, if it's the first pick, even if it's the second pick, it's, and they're looking at one specific player, it's probably Nick Bosa because they need a pass rusher. But, you know, if they trade back, they could probably still get their pass rusher. They could get a cornerback. Uh, a they can get extra selections. And it's going to be a bit of an easier hit uh, on the salary cap. But to answer your question, yeah, I, I think uh, any of those top three picks or any of the picks, say, before the Giants, or, or, or if they feel the Raiders are going to take, uh, are going to go Dwayne Haskins and move Derek Carr, I think any of those three picks they would look to move back. All right, well, I want to ask you, Tony, you talk about the San Francisco 49ers. Let's, let's mention the team now across the bay, and, and that's the, uh, the Oakland Raiders. And they hired our friend Mike Mayock to be the general manager this week. And you've known Mike a long time. I've had the pleasure of working with him over the last few years here in Philadelphia. Our friend Ben Fennell has done a ton of work with him in the past as well, working with NFL Network. What are you hearing about the hire? How are people around the league kind of responding to the, to the move by Oakland? First, let me say, uh, let me say that I'm not going to say a bad word, word about Mike. I mean, he's genuinely a very good guy, and he's very likable. I've known him for a while, and l- unlike other people in the league who may ignore you, Mike is always the first one to come over to you, say hi, how you doing, 
stands on the sidelines at Shrine Game practices, uh, watches the players. I mean, he's like that with everyone. Now, I mean, it's a mixed bag. So most are happy for Mike because he is that type of person. But some question the decision because there's a lot more detail in being a GM than just watching tape and watching game film and evaluating players. First of all, there's developing and managing the scouting department. That, that's a big, uh, a pretty big detail of his job, and some people ha- question how he's going to be able to do that. I, I, I think Michael round into it. And you know what? This may not be a traditional general manager spot, as most of us have come to know, uh, where Mike is going to have the final say uh, on, on players and what goes on with the roster in Oakland. But Mike gets along very well with John Gruden. Mike is an honest guy. He's going to tell Gruden what he thinks versus telling Gruden what he thinks Gruden wants to hear. And you know what? This type of arrangement worked out very well for the Eagles for years when Tom Heckert was the same sort of general manager and Andy Reid was the coach who was basically calling the shots, and they had a lot of success. They didn't win the Super Bowl, although they got the Super Bowl, but they were a very competitive team. You know, I mean, the overall theme is there are some questions, but like me, I think most people are happy for Mike, and I know myself, I'll be rooting for him. You know, I think it's interesting. You you brought up Mike, you know, and what he's like on the sidelines at, at things like the East West Shrine game, and you know, at the, you know, obviously the combine, he's up in the booth. But Senior Bowl, uh, I see him out of training camp here in Philadelphia, and you know, a lot of media guys like they'll come through and they're watching practice, but it's a, it's about relationships. You know, they're talking with people. They're you. Know, Mike is all business when he's out in the field. Like he is, he is locked in to what's going on between the lines. And I'm, I'm just, I'm really, really happy for him. I'm really excited to see how he does out in Oakland. So, uh, well, let's. You mentioned the, the Shrine Game and the Senior Bowl. Let's get closer uh, to these All Star Games, Tony, because obviously, uh, you know, as time goes on, I'm cramming. You know, I don't know if we're going to be down there at the Shrine Game or the Senior Bowl. I have to act like I'm going to be at the moment, just in terms of my preparation, trying to watch as many of these guys as possible. Obviously, look, we'll do a more thorough breakdown in the week of the Shrine Game and the week of the Senior Bowl, but I want to pepper you with some questions over the next couple of weeks about these guys as well. So let's start with the Senior Bowl and Montez Sweat, because we talked a few weeks ago about how he had not yet accepted that invitation to the Senior Bowl. A few days later, he did officially accept, which was great news. Were you, ex- were you surprised that he ended up accepting that invitation? What, were, what was your initial reaction when you saw that come across your uh, Twitter timeline? First, let me say, if you're not down there for the Shrine Senior Bowl, I will be there once again, hopefully yes. covering it for PhiladelphiaEagles.com, as I did last year. So That's true. I, I mean, was I surprised he accepted the invitation? Let's just say that I'm very glad he accepted the invitation. You know, he's got a lot on the line at the Senior Bowl. Uh, obviously, what we talked about before, he, he's a great pass rusher. He's a natural pass rusher. But how is he going to hold up defending the run? Just two tackles yesterday against Iowa during the Outback Bowl. The Hawkeyes are a team that traditionally have big slugged out linemen, and that's what teams are going to be looking for, you know, in the one-on-one and in the, the, the full scrimmage uh, at senior ball practices. Is he able to, you know, exploit the tackles? Is he able to get around the tackles and make plays when the ball is handed off to the running back? Or is he just basically a wide rusher that's going to get annihilated at the point of attack? A lot on the line. If he does well defending the run, I think Sweat's going to uh, affirm himself as a, as a first-round selection. Well, one guy Sweat will be competing with down there in Mobile in terms of being the best pass rusher there is Josh Allen from Kentucky. Uh, he's really started to get a lot of top 10 buzz, even top 5 buzz, Tony, which that might be a little bit rich for me. But uh, obviously, look, he took part in the Citrus Bowl against Penn State earlier this week. What did you see from Allen in that performance? Just a huge game. Uh, for him yesterday against Penn State. Four tackles, three tackles for loss, three sacks, one quarterback hurry. You know, you saw the type of athlete and defender he was, especially early on when Trace McSorley was healthy because Trace McSorley is a great college quarterback. I don't think he projects that well the next level, but he's a great college quarterback because he's so athletic. I mean, he can beat you with his arm or with his leg. He's not very accurate as a passer, but he's very elusive. And, you know, if you watch the game at times, uh, Penn State was double-teaming him. And, and, and what happened was is it, when, if Allen couldn't get to the uh, passer, he was creating opportunities for his teammates to get to the passer and make plays, which is what happened. I agree with you. Top 10 at this point in time is a bit early for me as far as Allen's concerned. But we're going to wait and see what happens in Mobile. We talked about Josh Sweat before, uh, Montez Sweat before. Allen is much more of a complete three-down defender. He does a better job uh, defending the run. He does a better job playing in space. And what we're going to look for in Mobile during senior bowl practices are how he holds up in the coverage drills. When he's asked to take on and stay with running backs and tight ends and one-on-one drills, 
You know, if he shows some the, the fluidity, the smoothness in his hips, the ability to stay with the tight ends uh, on crossing patterns, the ability to, you know to, to come out of a break and, and deflect away a pass and uh, running backs, you know, top ten may not be out of the question for Josh Allen when all is said and done. Well, one more Senior Bowl guy that I want to ask you about, Tony, is the NC State offensive lineman Garrett Bradbury. I studied him a couple weeks ago, and I was really, really impressed with him. He played center this year and last year. Uh, he's been a guard in the past. I loved him on film. Really athletic. He's aggressive. He's good with his hands. I feel like he's a guy who could really help cement himself as a top 50 pick down in Mobile. What have you heard about him and how teams are viewing him at this point? Yeah, on my board, no, and, uh, and uh, from people I talk to, He's a last-day guy. I mean, not, he's wow. my number two center uh, on my board, but I grade him as a fifth-round pick. Now, I think Bradbury is the type of guy, is the type of prospect that you get what you see in him. He doesn't have great upside potential compared to, say, Elton Jenkins of Mississippi State, who will also see at the Senior Bowl. Bradman is he's very, Bradbury's very workmanlike. He's not real big. He's not real dominant. Dominant. He's he's not overly athletic, uh, but he gets the job done. He gets the most from his ability. I think one reason why we're seeing him at the Senior Bowl is there's such a void of talent at the center position that was a factor in him being invited. I think he can play at the at the next level, but I think he's more of a scheme specific type of lineman. Interesting. I I I really liked him. I'll be to me, and I didn't even think about this. You know, a guy that really helped himself at the Senior Bowl, kind of a similar build, was uh, Ali Marpet when he came from Hobart. Uh, I'll be interested to see what Bradbury looks like. I, I really, really liked him on film. Well, the other, the other kid as well, who also played at the uh, then he played the Shrine Game, then uh, then went to the Senior Bowl from North Carolina State. Uh, starts for the uh, Patriots now. Maybe oh, uh, uh, Jim Tooney. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. that's a good He's point. The guy who really watched his his uh, draft stock uh, just shoot directly north with terrific. Uh, all-star game performances. Yeah, no question. All right, well, I know you typically have close ties to that Rutgers program, Tony, and they've actually got a couple corners coming out into this draft. Isaiah Wharton, the senior, is going to be down at the Shrine game. I actually watched him this morning. i got to say, I kind of liked him. He doesn't have really high upside because I worry about his straight-line speed, but he's got good size, he's smart, he takes great angles to the football, he's got a knack for getting the ball on the ground. I like him in press coverage. There's a lot to like there. I feel like he could be a really nice backup, potentially a big nickel guy for an NFL team. What are you hearing about him? And then they've got the other corner, Blezwan Austin, who I know uh, is a big kid who's had injury issues. He's going to enter this draft. He's not going to take that last year of eligibility there with the Scarlet Knights. But uh, give me your insight on both these guys. Yeah, let's start with Austin. I mean, came into the season created as the number 3 senior quarterback by a number of scouts, played one game before he needed to have a second surgery, uh, on the knee injury, which limited him, limited him to four games in 2017. Evidently, there's a problem there, which will be closely inspected at the Combine. I always thought Austin was a bit overrated, more of a size-speed guy versus a real good cover man. Uh, I think even if he enters, uh, even if he passes Combine medicals, he's going to be a late-round pick at best. So Austin's a guy who scouts thought could be a top-45 pick. I think right now you're looking at seventh round. And I would agree with you. I thought Wharton, who was graded as a free agent coming into the season, was ridiculously under uh, uh, underrated and underestimated. He's got the same size and measurables as his teammate. I mean, he's, he's not much slower than Austin. They're both uh, low to mid 4-5 guys. Uh, his ball skills are just as good. His, his feel for coverage is just as good. Uh, I think Wharton is a guy that if he plays well at the Shrine game, you know, you could see him in the middle of the third day of the draft in that fifth, sixth round area, assuming he runs a somewhat decent time in the, in the mid to low four or fives in, in pre-draft workouts. But I agree with you. I mean, I always thought that Wharton was much better than advertised, while Austin was uh, a bit overrated. Yeah, and Austin, obviously, with the injury stuff, is a little bit of a red flag there. All right, uh, let's wrap this up now with our mock draft roundup, Tony. This week, we're going to go to USA Today, where Luke Easterling did a four-round mock draft. We're already at that point now, where we got four-round mock drafts. I want to give you a list of names and get your feedback. Luke's got the Eagles picking at 21st overall, taking Ole Miss left tackle Greg Little. I know that's a favorite of yours. Uh, would be good value in your mind there at 21. Now, in the second round, the Eagles have two picks. He's got the Eagles taking Michael Jackson, the corner from Miami, and Josh Jacobs, the running back from Alabama. The Eagles don't have a third-round pick because of the Golden Tate trade, but in the fourth round, he has the Eagles taking USC middle linebacker Cameron Smith. So here are the four names. Greg Little from Ole Miss. 
Michael Jackson from Miami, Josh Jacobs from Alabama, and Cam Smith from USC in the fourth round. Give me your thoughts on that haul overall. Is it realistic? Do you like the value? Do you like the players? Overall, that group, how's that look? You know, I like the players. I like the positions. I think, uh, except for Greg Little, I think, especially the second round, um, those guys are, are selected a bit early. You know, if they could get Greg Little with the 21st pick, assuming that the, uh, he's there at the 21st pick, uh, I think that would be great value for them. Greg Little is definitely falling. He's not having the year that many thought, but the fact is this. You know, offensive tackle is a priority position in the draft. Everyone talks about the quarterbacks, etc. Last year you had Mike McGlinchey go top ten, which was a surprise to people. You had Colton Miller go with the 15th selection of round one. That was a surprise to people. So uh, offensive tackles, and this is a year where there's not too many offensive tackles in the draft. They usually go a little bit earlier. If the Eagles do have that 21st pick and Greg Little's there, I I think it fits a need with a potentially very good player. I think Jackson and Michael Jackson and Jacobs are also players that could help the the, uh, Eagles, but I think they're more last-day guys. I mean, Michael Jackson to me is sort of the Jalen Jalen, uh, Jelks at the cornerback position where – you know, he was overrated from the get-go. He's a nice football player, but he's more of a nickel dime back at the next level. He's a fourth-round prospect. Same thing with Josh Jacobs. I don't see Josh Jacobs going in the second day right now. I have him great as a fourth-rounder. Cameron Smith I like a lot. And Cameron Smith, uh, I think he could sneak into the third round. I think he's a guy that gives the Eagles some depth at that middle linebacker position. He's a very instinctive guy. He understands the game. He plays with great intensity. The thing about Smith is his size speed. You know, he's going to be in a 230-pound range. How fast does he run? If he runs in the 4.8s, he's going to be a last-day pick. If he can get to the mid-4.7s, I think he can slide into the third round because he's the type of player that coaches are just going to fall in love with on film. Good stuff, Tony. And again, we thank you as always for joining us here on the Journey to the Draft podcast. We'll talk to you here next week, and uh, we'll potentially see you here in a couple weeks. Look forward to it. Great stuff from Tony. You can follow on Twitter at Tony Pauline. And by now, you know you can always follow me at FDuffy3 on Twitter. That's where I post all the stuff I'm working on over at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. Things like the Eagle Eye in the Sky articles, the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, our Saturday scouting column, whatever X's and O's content you're looking for, that'll be there as well as on PhiladelphiaEagles.com or on the Eagles mobile app. All right, let's keep things rolling here. I teased earlier that I would break down Temple cornerback Rocky Asin, a guy who has come from completely off the NFL draft radar into the preseason, and now many view as one of the top senior corners in the upcoming draft. He's the subject this week in our scouting report. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. All right, Rocky Sin, 6'2", 190 pounds. Really interesting story in that he transferred this offseason from Presbyterian after they dropped football. So he transferred up to Temple, was able to play right away in his final season, showed up in training camp, and not only did he win his starting job, but he earned himself a single-digit number. And for those of you guys that don't know, for Temple, if you wear a single-digit jersey number, that means you're one of the toughest and hardest workers on the team, and it's not given out lightly. So for him to come in and earn that number so fast says a lot about his work ethic and his competitiveness at the position Keep in mind, too, this kid was a two-time state champion wrestler in high school. That physical mentality shows up in the way he plays. And so when I get into the film, again, this is a three-year starter in college. It was his first at the FBS level as the left corner for Jeff Collins in that 4-3 scheme. He lined up primarily in a press position. And while he wasn't really a true disruptor with his length, he did show the initial quickness to stay on top of his man early in the down. And he was patient with his jam at the line of scrimmage. He's got great height with below-average bulk for the position. He still get a little bit bigger and stronger, but he's got pretty light feet for a long corner. The ability to change direction relatively well in a phone booth. He's got a knack for reading route breaks and breaking on throws. He displayed the ability to click on throws and click on close on throws at the top of the route and break up passes on comebacks and digs down the field. I always like seeing that from these bigger corners. And he's got the ability to deter and defend contested throws because of his size and his length. And I thought he showed really good ball skills. While they were a little bit inconsistent, it looked like he's got something there. He made some Phenomenal plays on the ball with finishing with one-handed catches. You know, I did a really good job with some of those interceptions. And then he was also a very physical run defender. He can get bigger backs to the ground one-on-one. Doesn't always have good technique as a tackler, but he's willing to stick his face in there and mix it up. 
from a negative standpoint, look, athletically, obviously there's, there are some limitations there to play corner on the outside. He may struggle to keep up with explosive receivers down the field. He appears to have the length to win early in the down and press coverage. Doesn't always use it, like I mentioned. You know, When he lined up in press, it was often as a mirror or press bail technique, not necessarily get up in his face and you know try and jam him and keep him from uh, getting into the route. Never saw him in a straight pedal and off coverage. So right now, playing from an off coverage standpoint, that's a little bit of a projection just because I haven't seen it. Uh, gets a little bit grabby down the field. There were, he was flagged, I think, four times in three games that I studied. So he's just got to be a little bit more disciplined with his technique. But overall, this is a developmental press corner. Size, instincts are all there. But you know, questionable quickness and long speed. In some ways, I think he's similar to Razul Douglas here in Philadelphia. I like him best in a zone scheme. There will be some people out there, I'm sure, who will like him as a potential safety conversion down the road. I think Rock can definitely continue to help himself down at the Senior Bowl. This is a chance for him to go and compete against some of the top receivers in the country. Then, if he can go to the Combine and test well, even if he can post above average numbers at his size, I think that that will go a long way towards people thinking that he can be in every down corner outside the numbers. I think he'll probably come off the board in those middle rounds as a developmental starter with a high floor as a backup. So, that's how I see Rocky Hassan. Again, one of the top senior corners in the country, but let's keep things rolling here. I was happy to be joined by Jeff Schwartz from SiriusXM on Mr. Relevant this week to talk about some of the best prospects you should be focusing on from the Pac-12. Let's get to that chat right now. It's time for Mr. Relevant. Happy to be joined this week on the show by Jeff Schwartz from SiriusXM Radio. You can follow Jeff on Twitter, at Jeff Schwartz. He's got a ton of insight on these teams out west in the Pac-12. Jeff, welcome to the show, man. It's really good to have you on. Yeah, glad to be here. Glad to talk uh, draft. It's weird. I don't don't consider myself a draft person all the time, but, I mean, it's coming up fast pretty soon. It's crazy. Always playoff time before we know it. The draft will be here. Dude, the uh, you know the the NFL playoffs obviously right here, but the college football play we've got one game left in the college season. It's, it's insane. But let's I know the Pac-12 obviously it didn't have a, a great bowl season, but a couple a uh, couple wins here this week, which which were good to have for sure. I mean, we it, it's interesting if you look at just the talent level, and I'm sure you know we're going to talk about some of the talent in the conference, man. It's just it's not there, especially in the trenches hmm. compared to what other teams have. We've seen at Washington. Auburn, Ohio State, not even remotely close. Yeah, it's uh, it's certainly. We're going to talk about some of these trench guys, but uh, let's start things off with with your alma mater, Oregon, because you know you and I spoke this off season about the Ducks' pass rusher Jalen Jelks, versatile guy off the edge. He's lined up in a couple different spots there on that defensive line over his career. I know the sack production wasn't always there, but is this still a guy that gets you excited as far as transitioning to the NFL? Yeah, you know, the, the, the questions with him are going to be about, I think, his weight and his kind of his mass. Yep. I think a lot of people will, will think of him as an Eric Armstead or a uh, DeForest Buckner. You know, two guys who played in that kind of 3-4 hybrid, those things Oregon runs still now with Jim Levitt. Um, and, you know, those guys were not great pass rushers in college, right? I mean, they had some athletic ability and they showed at times, but their job wasn't really to get up if you're going to rush the passer. And I think with Jelk, he does um, – have some of those um, some of those uh, qualities. He's tough. He plays hard and physical, but he's 285 maybe. Um, I think that's going to hurt him because where do you put him? Like he's at 285. Is he a three technique? That's kind of light at 285, unless you're like Aaron Donald, or is he a three four D end? Is he a four three D end? Like where do you put him? I think they're going to have a lot of, of trouble finding a spot for him if he doesn't either slim down to like 265 and becomes a pass rushing DN, which I don't see happening, or maybe he gets about 300 and becomes one of his three, four DNs. You know, you could put down a three technique in nickel situations. All right, so let me ask you now about a guy that I have yet to study. All these other guys I've watched, but I haven't watched Oregon safety Ugo Amadi. I actually got a question about him the other day from a listener, Sports and Hoagies on Twitter, uh, about Amadi. He's obviously always around the ball. It's impossible to watch Oregon and not hear his name. So obviously I know of him. I just haven't gotten to him yet on film. But what do you think of, of this kid and what he can bring to the NFL? Look, I'll be, I'll be honest. I, I am not an expert on secondary play, uh, but I will say that what I've seen is what your your reader said. I mean, he is always around the football. I mean, whenever there's a big play that Oregon needs to be made, he's making that play. And I think there is a quality to that, especially in the NFL playing safety. You have to make plays, right? You have to either be a deep safety or be a down safety or do obviously you can do both. So there definitely is a quality to him just being around the ball, which I think is important to have 
if you're going to play safety. I couldn't tell you what his coverage skills are, honestly. I don't really can't tell you if his back is any good, but I'll tell you that he's always around the ball. He makes plays and he makes tackles. All right, well, let's move off the Ducks now, Jeff. And I, I want to ask you about a pair of offensive tackles out west that, to me, are the two best senior left tackles in the country, or offensive tackles in the country. And I want to start with Washington State left tackle Andre Dillard. What are your thoughts on this kid after studying the Cougars and that offense? You know, he, he's maybe one of the better guys to come out of this uh, air raid offense. Um, you know, he's a really good pass protector. He's got good feet and good hands. And you just worry at times about the ability to translate from that offense to the NFL as yeah. far as kind of just a tough run factor. We talked about this often. It's one thing that I, that I harp on every single year um, now is either even more, I think, of a, of, a, of a drop between, you know, like the seven or eight schools that, that constantly produce offensive linemen um, to the other schools because you have a guy who's in an air raid offense and he does almost nothing he's going to be asked to do in the NFL. Even if pass protection, you know, backpedaling and whatnot, that's not what you do in the NFL. Um, and he rarely had to run block. So the, the skills are there. The question is, can you translate them? And he's a guy where he'll probably get drafted probably second day, maybe third day, yep. um, if, if it happens. But, like, I just I can't be drafting him high and thinking he's going to be a, a, a your guy in year one. I mean, he's going to have to be a guy who takes time to, to develop. We've seen it year in and year out, man. Every year, right, we draft guys from these offenses that have nothing to do, you know, that, that show no – no transferable traits from what they do in college to the NFL. And it's a tough thing. He's got to go somewhere that has a good, good offensive line coach and allows him a year to improve. All right, well, let me follow up now with Dillard's rival with Washington, and that's the right tackle, Caleb McGarry. Obviously, there's been a lot of love for the left tackle, Trey Adams. He's going back to school for his final season, but McGarry has a lot of potential as well. I, he had really good flashes to me when I watched him on film. Tell me what you think about get McGarry and what you've seen of him so far. Yeah, you mentioned Trey Adams. He'll be coming back. I mean, he only played three or four games this year. He's pretty beat up. He was a guy that people had looked at as possibly the top tackle during the season. Uh, unfortunately, he couldn't play. But, you know, look at uh, his buddy over there on the right side. You know, you're right. He does flash a lot. Um, but I think part of his issue is that he really doesn't – he doesn't really, like, finish his blocks very well. He doesn't stay connected to him at all times. Mm. We know that consistency is so important playing off of any position, but off of the line – it's one of those. I feel like he's going to be a guy who's going to move into guard in the NFL, uh, kind of a spot where you can really just get your hands on guys and work right now and not have to have a little bit of patience and be kind of in space as you do so much as, as an offensive, you know, offensive tackle. His, his hips don't really kind of uh, unlock well enough to really uh, you know, vertical set kind of out of tackle and stuff like that. So I think, I think guard will be the spot for him. But he's probably looking at a day two, a day two grade. Yeah, I watched him, and I think he's probably going to be in that day two range. I agree. I, I watched him uh, earlier in the season, and you can kind of see, like like I said, there's flashes there. You see him in his stance, and he's got like this natural flexibility. He's able to like turn and, and move all these different ways. But then you could see like he's a bit of a waist bender once the ball snapped. The big thing that I noticed was he's constantly he's he loves to quick set. Like he's a big time quick setter, and his set angles. I thought like there were times where guys were just trying to get upfield, and they would be able to get that upfield shoulder past him just because he was constantly trying to quick set and he'd put himself in bad spots. Well, this is why I think you see him more as a guard, right? Yeah. That, that, the, the, the jump setting, quick setting, that stuff that you can do really well at guard. At tackle, you, you can't make a life of that. It, I mean, it, it's so difficult to do that, and I think that um, that's part of the problem is that he just doesn't have kind of quite the... the um, the skill set, at least feet wise, to play and you know to play tackle in NFL. But hands, I think, can can do it. And if mm. you've got good hands, but your feet aren't quite there, guard is a spot for you in um, in uh, in the NFL. All right. Well, the Pac-12 prospect that everybody was talking about coming into this season uh, was Bryce Love from Stanford, coming off that Heisman-worthy season a year ago. A lot of hype surrounding his name coming into his senior year. Injuries kind of hampered him in terms of his production. But even when he was on the field. The production wasn't nearly what it was a season ago, but is this still a guy that evaluators should be excited about moving into 2019? Uh, I, I think so. You know, their offensive line this year was really bad at Stanford. It's really interesting because they, they fell off because they're the most surprising unit, in my opinion, that hmm. Stanford just did not play well this year. If you look at, at their advanced stats, I mean, they were atrocious this year. If you look at, at the, their S&P and their, their efficiency rankings, I mean, they were 
they were uh, near the near the you know their offensive line stats like like the um, average third down distance, which kind of shows how you do on first and second down, was atrocious. 111th in the country. Their efficiency was 108th. Their stuff rate, right? How many times they run for zero or, or you know zero yards or less is 124th in the country. They just were wow. a bad offensive yeah. line, and so I think it's hard to evaluate Bryce Love's film this year. He was a little beat up, but I think you're looking at, at him. Uh, being still a high-level player in the NFL. He doesn't catch the ball out of the backfield as well as Christian McCaffrey did in college. Uh, if you look at his receiving numbers and kind of what they asked him to do, it's not quite the same. I'm not sure he's quite the returner that McCaffrey was as well. So I think you're going to have a little bit of, of caution drafting him to be kind of a dual-threat guy like McCaffrey, and people will kind of assume that. But again, I'm not sure running backs are worth much drafting high in the first round. I mean, all these teams in the NFL playoffs have – have no running backs drafted in the top first round, in the top round, right? All those guys, Barkley and McCaffrey, Fournette, might get cut. All these guys, you know, Zeke Elliott obviously might be the only exception to that. Yep. I should mention that. Um, you know, you can find a lot of value late in the round, late in the draft with running backs. All right, Jeff, I want to ask you one final question. I've been asking a lot, our last few guests. Give me a guy from the Pac-12 that not enough people are talking about right now that you feel just deserves more hype heading into this NFL draft cycle. Miles Gaskin, the running back for the for uh, the Huskies, first Pac-12 player to ever have four straight years of a thousand yards rushing. Pretty impressive. Um, I think mean, like no one, it's like no one is, is mentioning him. Uh, Nikhil Harry uh, in Arizona State. I think he's he, his stock went down a little bit. The wide receiver this year, uh, you know, he, I, you know, watching him play, he's just not as explosive. Really, like kind of, he doesn't look twitchy as a, as a wide receiver. I think we've forgotten how good he really is because ASU, they were okay this year, but he didn't have quite the numbers he did the year before. Those are kind of two. I think if you look at USC, Cam Smith, so he's a four-year starter at USC, a middle linebacker. Pretty pretty impressive. There's obviously a lot of precedent there for those players um, to be really good in the NFL. So those are probably, you know, Porter Gus in the DNA at USC also had a, I think, led the, led the conference in stacks and played like six conference games as he was hurt. So, uh, Gustin's problem is going to be his injury. He's had a lot of injury issues in the past, and you know those are probably the guys. Um, like I think off the top of my head, that people probably aren't talking about out west, especially after Philip Lindsay. I mean, I don't know how you don't consider Miles Gaskin um, after what Lindsay did, you know, his first year in Denver. That's a guy. I didn't even think about the Philip Lindsay connection. That's a good point. I, Gaskin is a guy that's certainly going to be very, very interesting throughout the process. Jeff, thanks so much for joining us again. You can follow Jeff on Twitter at Jeff Schwartz. Jeff, we'll talk to you again soon, my man. Thanks for coming on. All right. Take care, bud. Thank you. Great stuff, as expected, there from Jeff Schwartz. Again, hopefully we can get him back on the show again very soon. But before we transition to our next segment, you guys know how much I love it when you tweet out the show or you post about it on all forms of social media. What we love most here, though, is when you take a minute and you head over to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever you listen and give us a rating or even leave us a comment. Let's give some love to Jay Buonavalanta, who went into our Apple Podcasts page, left a five-star rating and a question. Here's the question from Jay. In the evaluation process, how much do you weigh production versus potential? It seems like certain players that were highly productive in college but do not fit the prototype at their position have been undervalued. We also see the other side where players that have the measurables, the height, the weight, the speed, seem to be overvalued. And it seems that there have been more misses on picks, especially first-rounders, that have the measurables but underachieved or just got by on their physical attributes. What are your thoughts and your observations in your years of experience? So... Jay, this is a great question. It's one, honestly, I could do 19 podcasts on this topic. It's one that I like. I, I have a lot of passion for this discussion. It's just a really interesting conversation to have. I'm constantly you know, weighing the, the player versus the prospect, right? You have a football player and you have a guy who you hope to be a, a high level football player. And I think, really, to me, it comes down to you want to find a good mix of both. You want to find the guys that have the height, weight, speed but also show the football skills. There's a difference between talent and skill. Skills are honed. Skills are worked on. Guys obviously put time and effort into improving skills. Talents are guys that you – know, talents are, are attributes where they're God-given. You're born with the ability to bend like Derek Barnett. You're born with the ability you know, to run like Deshaun Jackson. I mean, those are things that you don't really necessarily improve on. You can get a little bit better here and there, but that's not necessarily something uh, – you know, you can, Deshaun Jackson can roll out of bed and run a 4-3 
when he was 21 years old. Not, not, not everybody can say that despite, despite months and months of working out. And I'm, I'm constantly reminded of this one quote that I saw from Bill Belichick a long time ago, and it was, talent sets the floor, character sets the ceiling. You know, we talk all the time about, you know, you mentioned the height, weight, speed guys. Again, you know, the guys that have all the tools in the world. But if they don't have the, the work ethic, if they don't have the competitive toughness and the football character to work on those tools and to try and reach that ceiling, well, then the ceiling's no good. It, 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 you might as well not even bother. And that's really the way that I look at it. If I see a guy who has all of the traits, but he's bad, you know, bad character, I'm much less likely to take a chance on that guy. And I, I think that there is something to be said for, you know, the, the undersized player that maybe runs a four six and, you know, he's not he's not everything that you would dream up at running back or receiver, but he was super productive and he was very effective at the college level. But there are stories on both sides of the coin. I mean, look, Patrick Mahomes, uh, you know, coming out of Texas Tech, you know, he was like uh, dripping with potential. And everything that you saw from him was, oh, wow, like look at his arm, look at the accuracy, uh, you know, look at the size and the movement. I mean, everything was so, so impressive. But, you know, when it came to playing within the pocket, playing within the structure of the offense, you know, he was just a very cavalier player and it reminded me a lot in terms of play style of Johnny Manziel. That was just the way that he played the game. Now you watch him at, at, at Kansas City, and he's playing well within the structure of the offense under Andy Reid. They've really kind of honed him in. He still has a little bit of that you know, backyard football uh, aspect to his game, but now all those tools are all matched. You can't get there, and that's a credit to Patrick Mahomes. It's a credit to that coaching staff to letting him reach that potential. If you have the tools, yeah, that really gets you. that's going to get you in the door, but you need to have the character and the work ethic to be able to reach that ceiling, whereas there are other guys, and, they, and everyone's different with how you talk about this. If you see you know, a running back who's you know, maybe he's 180 pounds, he's really, really small, but you know, he had good vision, and in college he was really tough and he was really productive, they, 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 just, they, they struggle to make it in the NFL because at that size or without that lack of quickness, you, know, you, have the ability, you, don't ha- you have to have the ability to make that first man miss at the college level. You can go position by position here, and there's examples on both sides of the coin, either the height, weight, speed guys that didn't make it because you know, they were just trying to get by on their gifts, or the undersized guy, the guy that didn't have all the tools that struggled to make it because they didn't have that physical ability that to, you know, to win in the NFL. It's a very, very interesting discussion to me, and I've said this numerous times, the the off-the-field part of this process is so, so important, and it's so undersold uh, with with the fans and with the media that they kind of look, gloss over it and get by it. To me, it's so, so important. That's why these interviews at the Combine and Senior Bowl, the pre-draft visits, all that stuff is so important. It's imperative for teams to try and figure out who are these guys? Who, what are they like as people? How do they learn? How do they interact with teammates? How do they interact with coaches? Are they going to put work, work in in the offseason? How are we going to be able to trust them when they're not in the building? All that stuff is so important because that allows you to reach that upside. You, if you've got tools and you're, a great, and you're a great kid off the field, you have faith that he's going to reach that upside, now you're cooking with gas. You've got someone that you can work with. But it's, it's very tough to find those guys. Again, I could probably go on and on and on and on about this topic for another uh, 20 podcasts or so. But, Jay... Great, great question. Thanks again for your support on our Apple Podcast page. Again, if you want your question answered here, feel free. Just go on, follow in his footsteps, leave a comment on there, and it'll be answered here on the show. All right, it's about that time. Let's welcome in Ben Fennell and look at some of the biggest matchups to watch this week in college football. It's time for Saturday Scouting. Time to welcome in my friend Ben Fennel. You can always follow him on Twitter at Ben Fennel underscore NFL. Ben, this is our last recap of a game that you were at. You're done. You're done traveling. The season goes by in a blur. I remember sitting on my couch in August just dying to hit the road, dying to see film and to get to these uh, college games in person. And the next thing you know, it's beginning of January and your season's over. It, we were just like, it feels like two or three weeks ago, we're talking, we're like, yeah, like you can come on the show every week. We can talk about, you know, like the, the guy you were most impressed with physically. We'll just talk about guys you see on the road. And now, like, there we go, 17 weeks. Yeah, my back. life is just, it's either 80 miles an hour during the season or about five miles an hour in the summer. And All there's right. really not a transition period. You really get up and run. <laughs> and the next thing you know, the season's gone and we're preparing for the draft and now we're here well let's talk about the alamo bowl you were down there in san antonio mecca uh, of college football that's right yeah of course uh uh so you got washington state iowa state this was last friday night turned into a pretty 
competitive game. Yeah, entertaining game. Yeah. yeah, and I think it had the best rating uh, up until that point as far as the bowl schedule goes. So our crew was very happy. We got a competitive game, got a lot of eyeballs. That's awesome. Good broadcast. So you saw a lot of the guys that we talked about here on the show last week. I know had success. Tell me about the two Iowa State guys, the two Cyclones, David Montgomery, the running back, Hakeem Butler, the talented wide receiver. Well, I feel like a broken record at this point talking about Hakeem Butler. Yeah. Obviously, he showed out big plays all over Twitter, social media, nine catches, 192 yards. Another 20-plus average day uh, just to continue what he's done at Iowa State. You just see the whole kind of resume from him in the game. You just see the length and the aggressiveness after the catch with a big stiff arm. You can see the size to get off press coverage. He's got the range and the catch radius to pluck a ball out of the air that's thrown behind him. I loved, I loved when they uh, ran a cat blitz on his side. Okay. And he beat the safety rolling over to his side in the route stem. So as the safety rolled over, he stemmed him to the inside, got the safety to spin around, and ran a speed out to the outside. Very, very nuanced route running from this kid. He's not just a contested catch guy. And if you don't believe me, put on 2017 film where he's number three in trips, a lot of routes over the middle of the field, a lot of tight end style routes, very quick in and out of breaks, very sudden. Even though he's 6'6 and 230 or 225, he's a very good route runner. I think he's really going to surprise some people. We've seen what he can do at the catch point. He's very aggressive. He did miss a uh, red zone one-on-one attempt. He tried to one-hand it, missed that one. He did have a drop as well. So there are some concentration drops from time to time, but he's a tall glass of water. I just sat there in warm-ups for about 10, 15 minutes watching mm-hmm. him warm up. He's just a physical specimen. Does some really creative drills and warm-ups as well, putting some uh, coaches and assistants in front of him, shielding him, and then having to go up over top, protecting That's the ball awesome. away. Some really cool catch point stuff in warm-ups that I'd never seen before. So this is probably a segment idea that we can do now. Next week, maybe for the show. Um, but you see the best receiver you saw in person this year. I think I'm so. going to ask you next year, uh, next week. We're going to do all the, the positions of the that, on the field and who are the best guys. I mean, we've gotten out. I mean, I've seen Alabama, so yeah. I've seen Jerry Judy, I've mm-hmm. seen Marquise Brown in right, Oklahoma, I've seen Nikhil Harry at Arizona State. So I'd really have to think about that. They're all very talented, different shapes, different sizes. Sure. They all win differently. If I had to make a ranking, you might yes. have to give me a little bit to what right. I think about all that. Right. We're gonna, we're gonna, I'm hitting you up on this the next week. Done. All right, so uh, let's go to the other side of the side, the other side of the field. You got Washington State. Uh, your boy, Andre Dillard. Well, real quick before we go to that side of the ball, okay. why don't we touch on David Montgomery oh, before yeah, yeah, we leave yeah, yeah. Good call, good Iowa call. State yes, offense. Yes, yes, yes. David Montgomery. Yeah, even though they didn't win the game, they were competitive. He had 26 rushes, 125 yards. You could see what he could do in the pass game. Really, really clever concept mm. that I put up on Twitter where they ran a, almost a QB oh, yeah. follow concept where Montgomery was going to be the lead blocker. Then all of a sudden the quarterback pulls up and hits Montgomery on a little pop pass. That's great. You get to see what Montgomery can do in the open field. He's that typical run-to-daylight style of running back where he wants to find open spaces. Probably a little bit premature to bounce the, uh, the ball to the outside. Did have a fumble late in the fourth quarter that kind of cost them any attempt to uh, come back later in the game. But his contact balance is very good. I don't want to compare him to Saquon Barkley because Saquon was a freak prospect, a freak specimen. They don't just have Saquon Barkley's around college football every sure. year. But his play style is very similar. I mm. just wanted to kind of temper the expectations. His style is similar to Saquon Barkley, but just not as talented. All right, so he should go number two in the draft. No doubt about yeah, it. All He's all right. a lock. Got it. All right. <laughs> uh, Washington State now. Let's go your boy, Andre Dillard. Yeah, Dillard. He had a really good game. Again, just what I expect from him. He's solid. He has really good feet. I feel like they saw a tendency on tape, however. Anytime they put someone right over him and slant him inside, he's going to follow him inside. So they had Jaquan Bailey, who has seven, eight sacks for Iowa State, up against him. And Dillard slid inside with the slant and left Jaquan Bailey one-on-one with the running back, and Bailey got the sack pretty easily there. So I feel like they manipulated Dillard a little bit to isolate the running back on Jaquan Bailey. But Dillard, as far as his play and how he handled himself, really good in both the run and the pass. And like I've been saying for a couple weeks, his week at the Senior Bowl is going to be huge. I think a dominant week and no real lapses in uh, pass protections in the run game can really solidify himself in maybe a top 50 discussion. And for all the reasons that we talked about earlier with Jeff Schwartz, uh, I think that'll be especially a big week down there in Mobile for Andre Dillard. All right, uh, last time you saw Washington State, Gardner Minshew had not yet turned into the mustache and you know, the, the legend of Gardner Minshew. So I'm excited to hear what you thought of him now, seeing him in person and really kind of getting a chance to focus in on him. Yeah, we saw him twice uh, earlier this season as well. He's just a really fun college quarterback. He's got an infectious personality. His teammates love him he's fun he's a partier you know he's got just a great improbability and his improvisational skill 
skills are a little bit different than the traditional air raid quarterbacks they've had, uh, you know, with Mike Leach and Washington State. So he's got a little bit of that gamer mentality where he can make things happen. His teammates love him. He's pulled out a bunch of games in the fourth quarter. He's competitive. What he's going to do in the NFL, I'm not really sure, to be honest with you. Greg McElroy on the air compared him to uh, Cody Kessler. Okay. Which is kind of an uninspiring comparison. You know, maybe you can hang on and just be a reserve, a backup, a developmental guy. Started games of the league. Down the road. Yeah. But, you know, he has some limitations. Doesn't have a strong arm. He's not a big-bodied guy. He's not that fleet of foot or athletic. I just don't know if he's proficient enough and big enough to really hang in the pocket uh, with NFL offenses. All right, let's go uh, to the running back, James Williams. You had kind of tagged him as a, as a sleeper coming into the game. What did you think of him? Yeah, I'm really glad that Ledyard mentioned him last week as well. This is a pass-catching running back. He did have a fumble earlier in the game, but he had seven catches, and that set the Pac-12 single-season record for receptions by a running back. Hmm. Not Christian McCaffrey or any of those other kind of dual-threat backs Reggie Bush, the past couple yeah. years. Reggie Bush, even. This record's been... Uh, in place by some Stanford running backs since 1985. Okay. So it's just great to see Williams do that. And he's got a great story. They, his family left Ohio on a whim so his sister can pursue a, uh, a dream of being a voice actress in L.A. They wow. actually lived out of their car for a couple of months. So a little bit of uh, resiliency in, in his personal life. And he's a really good kid from everything I hear. Did she make it? Yeah, I think she's a voice actress wow. star out there. I'm not really sure what she's doing and what capacity, but uh, it was some kind of personal antidote that Dave Pash had on the family. Interesting. Yeah. That's pretty cool. All right, well, then you also had a note on uh, one of the linebackers there, Peyton Pallor. Yeah, this Peyton Pallor is really interesting. And just like Cam Smith at USC, he's about 6 feet, 230, all sorts of limitations, athletic limitations. He's not a flashy player. But this is just a classic game from Peyton Pallor. He had 12 tackles, a sack, a TFL, a forced fumble in the fourth quarter. He's just a guy you want on your team. I don't know where he's going to fit in the NFL. I get to see him maybe being that fourth, fifth linebacker on some team. Just the way, um, who are all those brothers from Michigan State? Uh, The Bola Bola Brothers, or whether it's Mike Hole out of Penn State. These kind of undersized, underwhelming tackling machines are going to find homes as third, fourth, fifth linebackers on NFL defenses contribute on special teams. I know coaches are going to love him. I don't really know if he's going to bring any sort of juice or range to your defense, but he's just a really well-rounded football player. Well, we are going to be the first on this podcast to break down the national championship game. We haven't done it with any of the other guests yet so far. Are people going to talk about that game? I I think a couple might be uh, talking about Alabama-Clemson Monday night, I believe 8 o'clock on ESPN. Uh, Overall, let's just go through. You and I will pick three matchups each that we're excited to see in this game from a draft standpoint. Not really even just a draft standpoint because a lot of these guys on both teams are just ridiculously young. Uh, You know, Freshmen and sophomores making plays on the highest level. Let's go. I'll, I'll let you get first crack at it. What's the first matchup that it really catches your eye going into this game? Yeah, there's a lot of young guys. There's some veterans on these teams. They obviously have the roster turnovers, but I think this is a first round pick first first round pick matchup when you have Clee and Furl against Jonah Williams. Now, I went back to that 2016 National Championship game hoping to see them match up just a bit with yep. Jonah Williams at right tackle, but Farrell played almost exclusively off the defense's right side, so he saw the left tackle in Cam Smith most of the day. Jonah Williams had to go up against Christian Wilkins. But I really just want to see uh, you know, how Jonah Williams you know, handle, can, can handle the length of Farrell. I think that's something that Williams kind of struggles with. Some people question if he has the length to hang uh, at, at the tackle position in the NFL. And it's almost a battle of patience versus are you slow with Jonah Williams. He's a very patient player, but when you get someone like Farrell that wants to attack your chest or has some suddenness inside, can that patience almost set you back in allowing a defensive end to maybe shoot inside or to expose your chest. So I think that's going to be a really fun matchup. Yeah, I really like that matchup a lot. It's going to, that's probably, honestly, it's the biggest like one-on-one matchup where you feel like they're going to see each other down in, down out. Both guys obviously kind of locked in to those spots. They don't really move Cleveland Farrell around in that formation. All right, uh, I'm going to take one, and I'll stay on the same side of the ball. We'll go Alabama offense. I'm looking at that run game for Alabama. Damian Harris, the player that you know I'm a big fan of. And then Josh Jacobs getting a lot of love lately. Uh, A lot of people think that, number one, Tony Pauline said last week uh, that he's going to declare on this podcast, so he will be in the draft. Um, But those two guys going up against this Clemson front seven, we know about the defensive line, but Trey Lamar, an underclassman linebacker, was a finalist for the Dick Butkus Award. Haven't studied him yet, but obviously has been very productive there for the Tigers. And then the senior Kendall Joseph has been a starter there for the last couple 
couple of years. Uh, a sideline, a sideline player. Undersized. I don't think that he's quite the athlete that you would need for a guy to be that size in the NFL level, but obviously a very productive player. So it's going to be critical for Clemson coming into this game that they stop the run, the Alabama run game. If they're able to stop them, make, one, make them one-dimensional, look, that's a key to every defense going into any game. But uh, for them, I think it's going to be extra imperative. I like the Alabama running backs in this match. Yeah, the second Alabama starts running the ball and breaking off those five, six chunk yards on first down, then it opens up the play action, then the RPOs, then the defense really doesn't know how you're going to be attacked, and it's almost over before it gets started. But another another matchup on the other side of the ball, how about Clemson running back Travis Etienne against Mac Wilson? He looks like a stud. Well, both guys look like studs. No question. Uh, Etienne's only a sophomore, not draft eligible. Mac Wilson is draft eligible. Has he declared? No, it's actually, it looks like he's going back. Oh, he is? His mom... It looks like was posting on social media saying that you know he's got unfinished business and there was the thing with the uh, the one award I think it might have been the Butkus Award actually that uh, Devin White the linebacker for LSU won. Uh, Mac Collins commented on his photo saying like oh like I'm coming for it next year. Gotcha. So it, it seems like Mac, Mac, Will- Mac Wilson, Mac, Mac, Mac Collins, uh, yeah, obviously our, our, not our Mac receiver Collins. here in Philadelphia. Yeah, Mac Wilson, yes, yeah, it's good because I think he had kind of an underwhelming year okay. and by his standards he would probably agree. Um, but I just want to see how he handles this type of speed and space. What type of angles mm. can he handle? You know, a caliber of ETN uh, when he gets out into the perimeter. I know they love to isolate him. They'll even send him vertically on on some instances. They love the screen game. They just want to get the ball in his hands. So it's imperative how Mac Wilson can attack that with his angles and how well he plays him in space. Yeah, I think that for for some of his flaws, Wilson. One of his strengths is his speed, his ability to play sideline to sideline. So I think tough those kid two guys, too, yeah, really oh, tough. Yeah, Phys- physical kid. I'm not questioning his physicality by any means. Yep. I know he's athletic. This is one of those litmus tests. Litmus yes, tests. I agree. How athletic are yeah, you? That's a good point. All right, let me. Uh, I'll, I'll go now. This is kind of low hanging fruit. We know the Alabama defensive line is just loaded with studs, right? I mean, Quinnen Williams, Isaiah Bugs, Raekwon Davis, Anthony Jennings. Keep going. The best pass rusher for them. Uh, I don't even know. He looks like he could be ready, but I'm not sure. This is Terrell Lewis, who tore his ACL back in the off season. Uh, was back to practice, but didn't play this past week. We'll see. I mean, that'd be something if he came back in the first game he played. It was a national title game, and he had an impact, but. This is a loaded Alabama defensive line going up against the Clemson offensive line that you know you watched the game last week and you know the that that crew was talking about look that you know the coaches just talk about how our offense really took the next step once this offensive line really came together. Obviously they're led by the left tackle Mitch Hyatt as a four-year starter, the senior on the left side, but I gotta think that this is the matchup that really kind of determines the outcome of this game. If if Clemson can find a way to keep Trevor Lawrence clean. Now you're ta- now you're kind of cooking with gas here. I think you've got the ability uh, to make some plays down the field, and there will be opportunities for them to make plays down the field. I mean, Justin Ross, uh, the talented wide receiver, T. Higgins, uh, you know, obviously Hunter Hunter Renfro is an Alabama killer, uh, has shown the ability to make plays. If they can keep Trevor Lawrence clean, I think that they've got the ability now to make some plays down the field against a young Alabama secondary. And I felt like that's what really kind of got Kyler Murray out of rhythm in the first half yeah, last week. No I, question. It doesn't seem like he really anticipated that type of pass rush, that type of dominance. He would have to move that. That early in his drops and progressions because of that pass rush from Alabama. He looked very uncomfortable in the first half, and just when he started to settle down and the game speed slowed down for him, it's crazy saying the game speed needed to slow down for Kyler Murray, yeah. but once it slowed down from the second half, it was almost a little too late. That Alabama or that Oklahoma line was the Joe Moore, Joe Moore Award winner. Best I mean, O line in the country, no yeah, question. They had some problems with those kids. But yeah. my last uh, matchup to watch, kind of an interesting one. Let's go Alabama safety, Deontay Thompson. And Trevor Lawrence, quarterback, Clemson. That's going to be very interesting. Alabama loves to play a lot of cover one, single high, one robber, one lurk. And Lawrence got a lot of that last week against Mm. Notre Dame and took shots on the perimeter. He sees press man with a single high safety. I want to see if Deontay Thompson has that range to be a player off the middle of the field. And then they also love to play two man. That's man coverage underneath with two deep safeties, and you're going to have to fit those throws over the corners, under the safeties. That's what we saw uh, Deshaun Watson do in back-to-back championship games against Alabama that really gave NFL scouts that view that he can make these tight window throws at the next level. And I'm just a little worried about Thompson. You know, he gave up a touchdown last week where his eyes were a little bit nosy in the backfield as Kyler Murray climbed the Mm -hmm. pocket on that play that's all over Twitter. Thompson had his eyes in the backfield, and that receiver Rambo ran past him, and he allowed a ball over his head. So I just want to see how Thompson handles a strong-arm player like Trevor Lawrence. And Trevor Lawrence is only a freshman. How does he handle a speedy, rangy safety like Deontay Thompson? No question. I think you look at that secondary for Alabama. A lot of young guys across the board. Patrick Sertan was picked on a little bit by Oklahoma last week. CeeDee Lamb was the guy uh, that they kind of pigeonholed as you're going to be the guy that will attack uh, Patrick Sertan down that left side. 
We'll see if uh, if they try and do the same it's thing. It's like Sertan or Diggs or Savion Smith. It's just incredible that these teams are here in the championship game again, considering the turnover every year with the rosters, the coaching staff. This isn't like the Warriors where you just re-sign Durant and Curry every year and you have the same team for five straight years. These are literally different teams every year, and you're still this dominant, and we're meeting for a round four in national championship. And that's what's crazy. is like, And this is good, per- segues perfectly into my next matchup because it's these Alabama receivers against the Clemson. Secondary, you come into last week's game and you're like, all right, you, you know about Jerry Judy. He wins the Blitnikoff and all that. Jalen Waddle had made plays all throughout the year. Henry Ruggs the third, you know, the guys can be guys can just fly. First play of the game, Devonte Smith, fifty yards slant route, almost takes it to the house, and it's like. Who who is Devontae Smith? And then he goes, he's the leading receiver for the game. They got Irv Smith Jr. running around out there. Like they just have all these guys that just make play. That's why to me, that's the difference between this Alabama team and the other Alabama teams, is that they've got this dynamic level of offensive firepower that I it's just I don't know how Clemson's going to match up. And hey, look, they've got a talented secondary. You know, Trayvon Mullen, a junior corner that a lot of people are very high on, could be a potential top 50 pick if he were to come out this year, uh, 6'1", over 200 pounds. A.J. Terrell, another corner, uh, third-team All-ACC, I believe, maybe second-team All-ACC this past season. Mark Fields is a senior. Uh, I believe that he is playing in the slot for them. So I think when you look at this Clemson secondary – they're going to be tasked with a huge test here this week. You know, going up obviously against Tua, but this whole passing game, all the different weapons there for Alabama, that's a huge matchup. You know who's looking game. at this Alabama offense and saying, what is going on out here? Our Darius Stewart's of the world, <laughs> Robert Foster, <laughs> even Calvin Ridley, O.J. Howard. They're looking at this pass attack and, and Tua throwing the ball around the yard and saying, whoa, 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 where are all these targets going around? You know, some players looking at Robert Foster, what he's doing for the Buffalo Bills. Right. I think he had, what, 10, 20 catches last year at Alabama, maybe yeah. 30 for his career there. That's he turned look- into a really nice receiver in Buffalo, but without a passing attack in that scheme, you never get to see those weapons unleashed. That's a huge credit to Mike Loxley in his first year as offensive No question. It's definitely a philosophical change. Now they have a little bit more of a pocket-passing quarterback back yeah. there, and you can get the ball to all these five-star weapons that you've been begging to come to Alabama to then run the football. Yep. That's not why Calvin really went to Alabama. He wants the ball down the field. He wants the ball in his hands, just like Henry Ruggs and Devonta Smith and Jerry Judy. They want the ball. They earn it. Yeah, I think uh, you know it'll be one of the big things going into next year with this Alabama team. Mike Loxley is now the head coach at, at Maryland, so he's going to coach this game for Alabama. Then he'll be off. So uh, how will this offense change going into next year? That's for another date. But a lot of big matchups here to watch in this game. And, I, and obviously, I'll be writing about this in my Saturday scouting column, which you can find on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app. I'll be tweeting that out uh, over the course of this weekend. Make sure you follow Ben on Twitter, at BenFennel underscore NFL. All right, time to wrap up this podcast. Let's get to some Q&A. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the draft mailbag. All right, so this week in Draft Mailbag, we're going to start on Twitter. We've got three questions. SC Eagles fan on Twitter asks, if Jared Stidham's stock would be helped by Auburn's dominant win over Purdue in that bowl game. And now you look at the stat sheet, Stidham completed 71% of his passes, 370 yards, five touchdowns. They won 63-14 to over the Boilermakers. It wasn't even that close. It was a complete drubbing from Auburn. Here's what I'll say about Jared Stidham. There are tools there. But he's got to learn how to play the quarterback position. And there are a lot of things that I worry about with him in terms of, you know, poison the pocket, his ability to work in a muddy pocket. Uh, it's going to be, that's gonna be one of the big things to, to me is getting through that. And then coming from that offense, I mean, he's not going through pro style progressions. It's very well defined for him. I would have expected him to be putting up this kind of production all season long. I'm glad that he did it in the bowl game. I wish that we saw it from, you know, September on. Uh, we've seen guys that were not very good prospects, that were lesser prospects lesser passers uh, you know, than Jared Stidham put up much better numbers over the course of their career running that offense with Gus Malzahn. To me, I think the Senior Bowl is going to be imperative for him. If he goes down and has a really good week, especially in the game, I think that will really help Jared Stidham. All right, next question here. Marley Fuprez on Twitter asks, what are my thoughts on linebacker TJ Edwards from Wisconsin? Do I think he fits in well with the Eagles? Now, this kid is six foot, two hundred fifty or two hundred fifty pounds, just under two fifty. So he's a thick kid, a little bit of a squatty frame, very instinctive, and he's great both against the run and against the pass. Very smart player in in zone coverage and showed the ability to finish at the catch point, made some great plays on the football out in space, even though he's not a great athlete. He's not super explosive. He's not a pure sideline to sideline guy. So I think that'll be the knock on TJ Edwards. Is he athletic enough to be a three down player to me with his intelligence? I think he could be. 
he was my, I think, my number one or number two senior linebacker in the country entering the season. I'm shocked that he's not accept, he has not had an accepted invite to the Senior Bowl yet. I'm excited to see where he ends up. I don't know if he'll be at the Shrine game or what, but uh, the fact that Edwards is not at the Senior Bowl to me is a little bit shocking. We'll see if that changes in the next couple of weeks. One final question here um, from Polisex609 on Twitter asks, if I think Damian Harris is a really good prospect or is he more of a product of an elite Alabama offensive scheme? Great question. To me, I think Damian Harris is a really good prospect. Uh, you know, you look at the way that, that he's used in that offense is he as flashy as Josh Jacobs or you know some of the other backs that they've had in years past no he's not a super explosive guy he's not overly powerful but the guy just runs with really good balance he's got great vision he can work in pass protection he can catch the ball out of the backfield even though he's not a dynamic mismatch guy like an Alvin Kamara I think he can be a weapon in the screen game I again I really like his ability to make that first man miss and he's always where he needs to be in terms of the run he's able to find small creases and fit his way through I really like his vision and his feel as a runner. So yeah, I really, really like Damian Harris. I haven't studied Josh Jacobs to that level yet. I know some people have Josh Jacobs. I know our buddy Dane Brugger has him as potentially the number one running back in the country. So uh, we'll see ultimately where Josh Jacobs is on the spectrum uh, if he decides to enter this draft. So great questions out there from SC Eagles fan Marley for Prez and then Polisex609. And if you ever have any questions for the show, feel free. You can always hit me up on Twitter at FDuffy3 or Head over to one of our podcast channels again. Give us that rating. Leave us a question in the comment section. I guarantee you, you will make the show. With this being a new show, that's the best way to throw us your support. Helps bump us up the rankings. Helps spread the word to people that are looking for podcasts like this one. We're just about here to draft season. So really spread the word. I appreciate all the support. So great stuff this week from Tony Pauline, from Ben Fennel, Jeff Schwartz, and all of you out there listening, whether you're on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app, or any of our podcast platforms. Thank you again for listening, as always, to the Journey to the Draft podcast. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I'm Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week. Happy New Year.